Hey, welcome to Afro Files. My name is Inokosei Kodia. In today's episode, we will discuss LGBTQ rights in Ghana. Earlier this year, on January 31st, a community center was opened in Accra to provide refuge and support to members of the LGBTQ community. However, it faced opposition from the start and attracted anger among locals who called for it to be closed. On February 25th, the police raided the center in a quest to arrest members of the LGBTQ community. Fortunately, organizers had cleared out of the center and sought refuge elsewhere. This raid began a furious reprisal which culminated in August with an anti-LGBTQ bill presented in Parliament. To learn more about these developments, I sat down with Abdul Wadud Mohammed, the Director of Communications for LGBTQ Plus Ghana. He was one of the organizers who was targeted by the police and we speak to him from Berlin where he offers a first-hand account of LGBTQ plus activism and homophobia in Ghana. So, um, my name is Mohamed Abdul-Wajid and I am the Communications Director for LGBT Plus Rights Ghana. I am a, um, I, I think I'm a social worker, I'm not too sure, I don't have the degree yet, but I am a social worker. <laughs> and I am a feminist ally, I'm, I'm a gay rights activist, you know, um, and all of that. So my work really is, um, is basically an activist. You know, generally, I'm an activist. That I, I I fight against oppression, marginalization, discrimination in any form. Excellent. So, for listeners who may be unfamiliar, can you tell us about the history of LGBTQ players, people in Ghana? That is their activities, their lives, and their contributions to society. In Ghana. It's, it's quite unfortunate that currently, presently, we are being demonized, you know, uh, LGBTQ people are being demonized in the country. But then, um, looking into history, pre-colonial, way before, uh, you know, we had Christianity and Islam come to demonize our existence, our presence has always been, been felt and has always been seen in the Ghanaian culture. Across when, when I say Ghanaian culture, I don't even mean one tribe. It, it's, it's across all the cultures that are in Ghana because you know Ghana is multicultural, multi-tribal, and uh, in each of the tribes you could find traces of queer people from pre-colonial times. Um, some have been documented, some haven't, and this is due to the fact that you know generally Africans rely on oral. Um, oral tradition rather than written. So as time goes on, most of these things were, were lost in, in, uh, in time. And also, you know, because uh, we, we embrace religion, we embrace new newer religions. So because of that, we try to cover up those chapter of um, the Ghanaian history. But um, I'm going to give you an example of some of the presence, you know, in pre-colonial times. Um, in the, in the in the Ashanti Kingdom, which you know currently Ghana prides and prides itself with, you know, in the country. Um, back in the days, the the kings were allowed to have male concubines, and it, it was it was traditional. It was it was there. 
So they had male concubines where they believed that um, this person is part of the soul of the king. And whenever the king, when the king dies, the the servant, the male concubine, is killed, is beheaded and buried with the king because they believe that he has to continue serving the king wherever they go because, you know, they are together. Um, that, that is one. Uh, another one has to do with the Enzima culture where uh, they had, uh, quote-unquote, friendly marriages among, amongst men, you know, where men were allowed to marry men. You, you understand? Men were allowed to marry men. But during the time that this um, this research was done, it was done after uh, after we 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 were colonized. So most of the the details of it were were hidden because you know now we have we are seeing uh, we are seeing that they are be, they are telling us that this is bad. So we don't have to say. So most of when you read into that tradition. You see that people are saying that, oh, yeah, it's just a friendly marriage. There is nothing sexual about it. It's just like you find another male person, you find him attractive, or you find what he does attractive. You can go to his family and say, oh, I like this and this about your son, so I would want to marry him. And, you know, and you are allowed to. You send dowries and everything. There is a whole marriage um, um, marriage ceremony attached to it. You, it, it happens. And it, you get to go and live with the man. You understand? So it's uh, when you read extensively into that history, it also indicates that the, uh, even if the man is married to a woman, when the, when the other man that he's married to comes to visit, the woman has to vacate the room for the two of them to be in the room. So you understand me? So all these traces down to the fact that we understood diversity. We understood diversity that came with sexuality and gender. So, when, and even currently, when you look at our languages, we have gender, gender neutral pronouns, right? You are Ghanaian. If I ask you right now, how do you say he in she, you know it. How do you say she, you know it. It's the same thing. So we don't, we don't have he and she in, in, in Akan. It's they, right? So all of these are evidence of the fact that even our ancestors, those who came before us, who, who, who understood tradition, understood nature, understood the diversity that existed in nature, they knew that this is it, this is how it is. And, and uh, um, these two examples I've given you are mostly southern. There is one two in the northern part uh, where uh, uh, you cannot be a priest unless you are, you are effeminate because uh, it, when you're effeminate, it's believed that you are like the gateway because you, you have both male and female um, um, characteristics. So you are seen as a gateway between uh, the physical world and the spiritual world. So you are respected, you are referred. So you understand. So all these comes down to the fact that Ghanaians have always respected diversity and have always accepted that there are differences in gender, there are differences in sexuality, right? So coming down to um, we being colonized and, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the British brought the... the the, one, uh, the, the current, uh, the current uh, law that we have right now, the criminal code that you know criminalizes unnatural canal knowledge, it it came because they saw that these things were present because you don't legislate against something that isn't present. You understand? Like you don't just come up and say, "Oh, I think this is gonna happen in the future, so I'm going to legislate against it." Like 
years before. Like, that doesn't happen. We are not wired that way. So they saw the evidence of these things. They saw that it's something that we accepted and we respected. And they brought their beliefs in to say, no, this is bad. This is you. In our God, the God that we're bringing to you doesn't accept this, so you shouldn't and all of that. So after colonization in 1960, we adopted that into our current criminal code. And that is what we are facing now. And unfortunately, this year, we have these eight MPs who are willing to go further to now criminalize both identity and act. And I don't know how that works because I don't know how you are going to um, legislate against quote-unquote sin because that is what they keep saying. It's an abomination to sin. It's against um, our morals. How do you legislate against something you find morally wrong? Like, you know, it doesn't make sense. But then for some reason, because it's um, rooted in bigotry and rooted in uh, um, hatred and discrimination and also in teachings that have been ingrained in us from childhood, it's very hard to let go. So you see this happening. So the Ghanaian culture has always been diverse. It has always been uh, um, accepting and tolerant of queer people. Even uh, going, not even far away, like in the 1990s, in the 1980s, when you go to, I wasn't there though, but like, you know, we have people still around who experience those era. And they will tell you, when you go to these nice clubs back then, they were having gay people and straight people were partying together. They were all in the pubs drinking and dancing together. You understand? So all this um, hatred actually came, became serious and came with the whole evangelical um, teachings of Christianity. You understand? It's just, um, it's it's just unfortunate that the queer community has constantly just been silenced. And and now that we are trying to gain some kind of visibility, we are seen as uh, asking for too much. But then... um, we, we are, we are still going to fight and then we are still going to let Ghanaians know that we equally exist and we are part of the, the Ghanaian culture. Because even, even when you look at a lot of things that are happening, like in Ghanaian culture, it has been influenced by acts. The, the, Bahamaya, the Bahamaya traditional dance, the, the male dancers, they, they wear female clothes. And it has to take, um, it has to take a man who actually accepts the diversity, you know, a, a tol- tolerance for, for, for him to be comfortable to wear women's clothes to dance. And even when you watch, when you look at the Bamaya dance, it's extremely effeminate. And this is something we, we pride ourselves with. When you look at, when you look at the Kete dance, right, the Adowa and the Kete dance, there is no male version, there is no female version. It's just general. Right? So, so many evidence is there for us to see that Ghanaians actually accept diversity and they know we exist and we've influenced so much. You understand? When it comes to culture and when, even when it comes to the economy, we, we do so much. You understand? It, it's just every part of Ghanaian lives, we are there. So there is no way you can erase us from anything in, in, in Ghana. Yeah. That's a brilliant insight. So... I would like to know, and my listeners would like to also know, what then is the history of anti-LGBTQ legislation in Ghana? And um, what is the source of 
this anti-LGBTQ hate in the country? Um, so I'm going to start from, you know, from what they say, right? From wherever, what the thing that triggered them to say, oh, no, now we are going to give a bill that is going to criminalize advocacy, that is going to criminalize you, the whole community and allies and everything. So uh, January this year, which I believe you you know that um, when my movement, the movement I'm with, LGBT plus rights, Ghana, we opened uh, a community center to cater for the queer community in Ghana. And uh, we had a very beautiful opening ceremony for the, um, for the, you know, to open the social, uh, the, the, the social community center. And um, as, as visible as we are with our activism, we decided to, we always put everything we do on social media. When you go, when you follow our page, we are, we are unapologetic, we are loud, and we are, we are asking for what is ours. So we put it out there, you know, and um, during the ceremony, we had prominent people attend, especially our Western supporters. We had, uh, we had a, a, a high commissioners and, and, and diplomats available, they were there because uh, in one way or the other, they contributed to um, uh, opening of the place. They, they didn't open the place, right? But then they are our allies. So they decided to come and celebrate with us. And so when the pictures hit the media space, now everybody is like, oh no, now the white people are coming to open the gay center in Ghana. Like, Ghanaians really just like, overlook the work of we the Ghanaian activists and just give it to the white people. And it was very, it was really crazy to, to witness and see because we did this with our own money, with our own own resources. Nobody helped us. We did it. We built it. And so it was shut down, of course, by anti-LGBTQ people calling for it to be shut down. And it was. And um, there is this other coalition called the National Coalition for Proper Human Sexual Rights and Family Values. They are an anti-LGBTQ. Um, <laughs> they are anti-LGBTQ coalition. So they are actually funded by the World Congress of Families, which is a, which which are like the far right imperialists uh, in, in in America. Because two years prior. They had a conference in Ghana here where they had them attend and they, they put in uh, measures on how to, you know, deal with LGBTQ in the country because they previously have done that in Nigeria and Uganda. And we can see now that even though Uganda, the bill was passed in parliament, their, their president has refused to sign the bill because he's saying it. it, it so he has, he has brought it back to parliament for them to review it. Right. Um, but then Nigerians passed whatever they could pass, you know. And now in Ghana, when it came to, when it came to Ghana, they decided to like lump every all of the bills that they've they've passed around the world, all the homophobic bills, they lumped it up together, and then they said, "Ghana, this is yours." Right. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at the bill. It literally touches on every part of the community, allies, advocacy, people, identities, every aspect of, 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 of the community, presence, appearance, everything. And um, 
Now, when uh, the shutdown happened, a few weeks after, now the community started to be to to be targeted, right? And uh, people were started were were arrested for for nothing at all because you know, uh, just example is what happened at the, in the eastern region where twenty two people were arrested uh, because they were at an alleged lesbian wedding. And uh, we were able to, you know, build them out and then dribbling down to this. There was a heightened sense of, uh, you know, violence, you know, coming to the community. We were having so many reports of attacks and all of that because we we were like the first point of call for queer Ghanaians because we are more visible. So people come to us with their problems and we had so many records. So during those times, as those things were happening, the National Coalition for Proper Human Sexual Rights were actually, you know, drafting this bill, putting it together. So after they were able to finish it, they now um, went to parliament, gathered a host of, of MPs, who they believe would support that bill. And at first they had over 20 something MPs with them. But then when it got to the point where it was supposed to be laid for parliament, you know, only eight of, of the MPs decided to stick and stay. Everybody else ran away. We still don't, don't know why they ran away. So only eight of them stick and stayed and they signed the bill. And then now it's in, it's in parliament. It has gone through the first reading, and Parliament is in recession, and they'll be back uh, next uh, in October, I think October 16th. I'm not too sure. I'll go check. And when they come back, um, the the bill has been given, have been sent to a committee, the Constitutional Review Committee, where um, they would review it, and uh, they will send it back to Parliament for a second reading. So until they are back from the um from the recession the bill is still like you know hanging in its balance but then Ghanaian uh parliament parliamentary um parliamentary proceedings takes you know it, every bill it takes time you know? yeah. it's not going to pass today or tomorrow so we are just we are just here also trying our possible best to fight against this bill before it even gets to you know it gets to the argument stage in, in Parliament. I, I actually believe that like it's going to be a strong tug of war because knowing Ghana being a democratic country, I don't really think we are ready to adopt such a bill. Yeah. Okay, so um, we would like to know what is the source of this whole anti-LGBTQ hate in the country? First of all, it's very simple, religion. That's just about it. Nothing else. Religion. Now, in Ghana, we are we are at a point where even the traditional believers, right, are balancing traditional beliefs with, you know, Christianity and Islam. So you go, you come to our traditional system. You have chiefs and 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 linguists and all of that, who are you know when it gets to the uh, the season of of, of traditional um, celebrations, you see them you know uh, throwing uh, appeasing the gods of the land, praying to the gods of the land and all of that. But then on Sunday they go to church. Every day they uh, you know those who are Muslim still pray five times a day. Right. So now there has been that, oh, I believe in God and I also like respect tradition. 
So you understand. So now we are seeing that, and everything, every action that is being done right now is from a from a religious point of view. When you go to the anti-LGBTQ camp and ask them, even when you see what that coalition is made up of, it's made up of predominantly pastors and imams. So when when every time um, the the issue of LGBTQ comes up and a coalition is going to speak, they'll be like, oh, our churches don't agree with it. Uh, even our Islam brothers and even the chiefs don't agree with it. You understand? So this, this is what we are seeing right now. And every part of this argument is stemming from the, from the Bible point of view, from the Quran point of view, right? And the, tradition, the traditional leaders are just, they don't have anything to say. They just say, oh, it's not allowed in the land and all of that. But they know, they know in their heart of hearts that it's a lie. They know it. But of course, if you are getting American dollars, you would do anything. So here we are. Okay, so um, what what is the significance of this new bill that has been introduced in Parliament? Um, and what is the likelihood that this bill will become law in Ghana? So I'm going to tell you something funny that happened, right? In relation to the bill. I was called to have an interview in one of the local TV stations. And I, that was before the bill was banned, was, was, um, you know, was brought to the public, um, which we didn't know there was going to be a bill, though, you're saying. And uh, at that point, there was this political activist in the eastern region, oh, no, in, the, in the central region, I think, yes who wrote a letter to the um, Speaker of Parliament and then uh, said, showing his concern about you know, the rampant activities of gay people in the country and blah, blah, blah. And then the Speaker of Parliament actually saw it's important or necessary to respond, to write back a letter to that activist. And in the letter, he said that, right? <laughs> in the letter, he said that, oh, they are taking steps to actually nip the activities of the LGBTQ um, community in the bud. So I was called to speak on that letter, right? And I was asked, um, what activities do you think that the, le- the, the, the speaker is talking about? And I said, well, knowing for someone who is part of the, the LGBT community, I don't know the activities that we do that the heterosexuals don't. So I don't know what I, what they are going to legislate against. And it's quite funny because, you know, you have to respect somebody in that position. You understand? You have to, you know that for someone to be in that position, the person, the person knows, the person, quote unquote, is not stupid. You understand? And so I said, it's funny to me, right? So apparently, I think the speaker saw that interview. And during the time that uh, they were handing the bill to the speaker, mind you, they actually had a whole um, session, prayer session, just to deliver the bill to the speaker. And that was when the speaker said, he mentioned my name, actually. It was like, yeah, one of the activists said, Mukodmo uh, said, uh, I am a funny man. And it was weird because I didn't say he's a funny man. <laughs> So you understand, it was, and watching it unfold that way was quite funny. But when it comes to the bill, as I mentioned earlier, I do not know 
what the bill, how the bill is going to isolate gay people from heterosexuals. Because how this question still stands that how do you identify a gay person if you are going to criminalize his existence, it's his being, right? How do you identify a lesbian? How do you identify? It all comes down to physical mannerisms and features. And it is wrong for you to assume that every effeminate man is gay and every uh, um, masculine presenting woman is lesbian. And the funny thing too is they added asexual to the bill. How do you know somebody is asexual? And of course, somebody who's asexual, he's not having sex. Asexuals don't have sex. So why, how are you criminalizing somebody who is not having sex? So now what? Ghanaians are supposed to have sex by hook or crook. Like, you, you, you get me? For us to have members of parliament who actually signed this bill to be sent to parliament, it's weird. Up to eight members. So which, what, which people are we voting to go and legislate? Who, who, how? You understand? It baffles me. So this, the implications of this bill is the fact that it's going to affect every other Ghanaian. And it's going to affect every other Ghanaian, not just in the country, but outside the country. Because there is one portion of the bill that states that uh, um, if you're Ghanaian and you are even in the diaspora and you're caught to be gay, you would be asked to come back. I'm like, if the if Ghana has a um, what's the name of this thing? Uh, extradite an extradite, uh, you know, relations with the country, the said country you're in, you will be extradited to Ghana to be punished. So it means Ghanaians are not safe anywhere in the world because I don't know the number of countries that Ghana has this relationship with. I think I have to check it. But that is what it means. No matter where you are, nowhere is safe. You understand? So this bill affects every person because they are going to profile everybody. The police will find you on the on the road and if you're wearing, I don't know, they, they feel like, oh, no, he's gay. He's gay. Because we have seen time without number, even before this bill, we have built out so many people from police stations. And that is because when uh, the people go to police stations and report cases of abuse, but they get there and then the person, the person who is being reported, you know, the, the perpetrator, men says that, oh yeah, this person is gay. That's it. The abuse is, yes, the abuse is just pushed aside. I'm like, you're gay. Okay, come, you go inside. You, you, you are, you are fronted a lot. That is what has been happening. So imagine what is going to happen if this one actually uh, uh, passes. And I don't, I don't know if I should go into the economic um, um, implications of this bill. Like, first of all, Ghana doesn't have the infrastructure to arrest all gay people in Ghana. Because even if gay people, uh, sorry, if queer people in Ghana are one, is 1% of the total population, Ghana's population is close to 30 million now. Do you think that we have the facilities to hold these people? That's even just 1%, right? So when you, when you go into this technically, nothing makes sense with the bill, nothing. And then coming down to the fact that they were like, oh, when you are um, arrested and you denounce your sexuality, I don't know how you denounce your sexuality. You denounce your sexuality, you will not be taken to jail, you'll be taken to conversion therapy. 
<laughs> you see, so when you read the bill and you sit down to reflect on it, you would see how shallow and shabby this is a shabby work of legislating. Like, it's, they should be ashamed of themselves. Those eight MPs that actually signed, they should be ashamed of themselves. And the Speaker of Parliament should also be ashamed of himself for actually even being the one to push this. Because he vehemently said that he is going to make sure that they will pass this. So what, how does it look for you as a legislator who has been in the in the Parliament of, of, of the Republic of Ghana for all these years? Because Mike has been in the, in the, in the Parliament for years, since 19, I, I, yeah, something. Yes, he's one of the oldest members of parliament in, in, in the country. So for you to actually see this, and and it's just it's just crazy. You understand? So so many things goes into this bill. The implications are so much. It, it's a lot. And for me, my point of view is quite disturbing to see that our lawmakers are not actually seeing this or they are deliberately doing this for some, I don't know, few dollars somewhere. Because someone is actually being paid. Someone is cashing out. Someone is definitely cashing out. Because we know the World Congress of Families are rich. Just last, this year, they, 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 they budgeted, well, this is speculation, but I heard this on their website. I have not checked. But... They, I heard that they budgeted around five hundred thousand dollars just for advocacy around the world. So you should know that the National Coalition of Human Sexual Whatever they are cashing out big time, and these MPs are also cashing out big time because of this bigotry, and they are selling the country out for a few dollars that actually gay people also contributed to because like gay people are in America and they pay the, the, the economy is going there, right? And it's just so sad to see that our very own legislators cannot see this, are not helping the country to grow, but rather doing this just because they want to make, they want to stay in the political class. You know, the, the, the political class are just elitist. We all know that, right? They want to claim power so bad. So somebody somewhere feels like, oh, when I do this, what the country needs, when I do this, I'm going to get a vote. Because yes, I, at the end of the day, I supported the gay bill. Because I mean, don't like gays. You understand? So this is all of it. This is so many implications are gonna happen, and I believe very, very much within me that this bill will not pass. To be honest, because looking at the things that are happening every day, the conversations that are now um, being had in the country. I believe that people are starting to think into so many things. Now, we've seen uh, a few prominent people coming to speak out against the bill, some members of parliament, even though some of them in the earlier stages, they, they spoke against it and then they, were, they had a backlash and they took their words back. You know, we are we're having that. Um, I think the, the former elect, electoral chairman, her name, I forgot her name, Charlotte was saying, she came out to talk about how we are handling this whole LGBTQ thing all wrong and all of that. So we are now seeing a lot of people, public figures, talking against the bill. And it's going to happen. People will start having great conversations. People will start delving into intellectual arguments on how bad this bill is. So I believe 
that it's not going to pass. When you even look at before, um, when you look at before the bill was was sent, when you know LGBTQ issues were crazy in the country, that was back in February. We still had MPs talking against how people are handling the LGBTQ issues. That was when the intention of the bill was coming out. When the intention came out on in the, on the floor of parliament that oh, I want to the activities of LGBTQ and so that was from some George. We had other MPs saying that no, from a constitutional point of view, this is not this is not right. And if we are going to legislate something like that, then the constitution itself has to be reviewed. And we've not read as a country, we've not reviewed our constitution since 1992. Like the whole constitution hasn't been reviewed. Maybe some portions of it have, but like the constitution hasn't actually sat down to stand the test of time. And we need to review the constitution. Because it was drafted in 92. We are no more in 92, we are in 2001. It's like 28 years now, I believe. Right? So so many things is going to happen in parliament. And personally, I'm excited to see how it's going to happen, because this is not going to be easy. And oh yeah, I actually like political bands, so I'm here for the violence and violence. <laughs> okay, LGBT plus rights Ghana is the most prominent and vocal organization defending gay rights in Ghana. But this has come at a cost. Would you share with us the story of how the National Security Forces raided your organization's office and community center in January? Uh, the, the raiding happened in February, actually. Most of most of us were displaced after the place was raided because um, most of us came to the harsh reality during that time when we were outed publicly nationwide and our identities were known everywhere. So we were like, uh, yeah, those are the devils. Those are, you know, the ones who are bringing the cases of Sodom and Gomorrah. So for months, we had to be, uh, we had to stay in hiding for months, like uh, close to four months. We were in public. We were working remotely from a safe house in the outskirts of somewhere. Um, uh, but then we, we it, that, those are some of the costs, or those are some of the implications we knew going into the fight is going to bring us because when you live in a homophobic country these are some things you anticipate and uh, Ghana as we know it, we grew up in Ghana we know how Ghanaians uh, think we, we know the Ghanaian system so we were able to navigate ourselves through all these harsh realities that we face and um, we are constantly uh, uh, we are constantly revisiting our, our security our our safety and all of that. So yes, it's it it comes up with the cost. It comes at the cost, but it's very important for us to do this because uh, we are not just doing this for us. We are doing it for future generations and others who cannot fight. Uh, because you know, predominantly our fight is for the community. It's it's. It centers around the community. And when you look into the community, there are so many things that affect the community, from from class issues to to um, um, econom economical issues and health and all of that. So we we know that all going into this, we know that these things will happen and these are some of the things that, you know, it's not the first to happen to us. All over the world, activists 
face so many harsh realities every time. But then it's all for the greater good. So yes, it comes at a cost. And yes, our very own um, investment in a social community center was shut down. It's really, really painful because when you when you actually put efforts and, and so much into something and it just goes down, one time it takes a toll on yourself. So right now we are dealing with so much. Um, some of some of my colleagues are some of my colleagues are in therapy. We are all dealing with uh, so many things. But then we are we are getting so much help from our very good allies in the country. So yeah, basically that is what we are going through. But we will push through, and it's going to get better. We will. Okay, so um, would you share with us how the National Security Forces raided, you know, the community center in February? How did how did it go about? Um, so on that faithful day, which I honestly have forgotten the date because uh, I'm trying to bury that memory. Uh, that very day, uh, that was we the day before the raid, we were having so many um, so many messages, right? Uh, and uh, our bank accounts were frozen that day. Yeah, the day before the close, the, the, the closure of the place, our bank accounts were frozen. Uh, the, the the landlord where you know the, the, the community center the landlord called being concerned about his property because some people said they want to burn it down and all of that so he proposed that we meet the next day and talk about potential you know exiting the space and he's going to pay us back our money refunds and everything so yeah we agreed um personally my house was closer to the community center and it was uh, it's linked to the community center in a way that the agent that got me my house, the housing agent that got me my house, the same housing agent that got the community center. So the next day, when we were going to meet the the landlord for discussions about refunds and you know, um, the, the, our director was there. He went earlier than I I I, I, I went there. So I knew that he was there because we were going into the meeting with him, but he decided to go earlier to, you know, prepare for the meeting. So I got there. There is this church closer to the community center, the irony, right? <laughs> there was a church closer to the community center. And uh, I got to the church, and that was when I saw the police car. I saw a host of cars in front of me. They went, Busily breaking the gate, they were breaking the lock, and I was like, "What is? Oh my god! Like this is crazy! Like we didn't, we've not stolen anything! Like what is happening?" And um, at that point, I didn't know what to do. Right, I just froze. And I had to call one of our board of directors, who is a lawyer, and she advised me on what to do. She said, I take photo evidence, uh, video evidence of what is happening. And since uh, people are watching, you should let the world know what is happening. And I did just that. But fortunately, um, when the police got there, our director wasn't there because he, can't, he saw them coming. So he left. So nobody was there. They tr they trashed the place up. They you know locked the place up, and they just left. And right after, I think the, the two and night after the national coalition for whatever, they came to actually have a prayer session there 
talking about how, yes, they said we, we have planted evil in the country. So they came to pray against the evil. Yeah, they actually did. I didn't know we were that important. They actually had a series of prayers and fasting. I don't know, people actually went hungry for us. We are really important. <laughs> yeah, so that is how the rain um, happened. <laughs> Yeah, so that is actually the, the summary of, of what the, uh, how the day was during the rain. And um, of course, the, those of us that were, that were connected to the, the space had to flee. We, we couldn't go back home because there are connections to our house and everything. So we just had to leave. And that was how we had to stay in a, in a safe house for like four months. Yeah. Excellent. So um, I would like to know, um, is there nothing better that Parliament could be spending time on rather than um, chase down people in the LGBTQ plus community? Uh, is this new bill really what Ghana needs right now? So personally, I have a very crazy view on, on what parliament should do with your time. I don't think that um, it's a bad time for parliament to talk about this because uh, it needs to be addressed. Like queer issues in Ghana needs to be addressed. And if you ask me if there is anything better that they should do with their time, for me, as a queer activist, I don't think so. I think they need to talk about this. And because of this bill, which I personally call a necessary evil, we are seeing so many people have uh, um, excellent discussions on, on queerness in Ghana. For, for too long, people don't like to talk about queerness in Ghana. Like, it's, it's like something you don't speak of. Immediately it comes up because of how people are disgusted on it. People just like, you know, Talk about it, right? And it's constantly affecting the community in a way that anytime something harmful happens to the community, nobody talks about it, right? And that is how the police service and everything they have this, um, they have this view that any gay person is a, is illegal, which is not true. So personally, I believe that there is no better time and there is no better topic to talk about in Parliament than this right now. It's here and they need to talk about it. It's part of, it's part of their job to make sure that every Ghanaian is safe. And queer Ghanaians are equally Ghanaians. So if you ask me if there is anything better they need, their time, they, they need to do with their time, no, they should deal with this. We need them to deal with this right now. Excellent. Um... Thank you so much um, for having us today, Mr. Mohammed. Uh, it was pleasant discussing LGBT plus rights in Ghana with you. And um, we are wishing you all the best and hoping that everything goes on well and that this bill hopefully will not be passed. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. This has been Afrofiles. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, Enoch Osei Korea. Our editor is the ever-brilliant Ed Hendrickson. Our theme music is from Reason. <laughs>